Welcome to Top Score from Classical Minnesota Public Radio. I'm Emily Rees. Composer Tom Salta recently finished music for Eric Chahi's new game. It's a game called From Dust. In From Dust, you control the earth and all sorts of other elements like lava and water and fire, all in an attempt to create a livable environment for a tribe. Each motion in the game reacts musically, making for a great listening experience on top of an already great gaming experience. Tom Salta is no stranger to scoring games. Having scored both Red Steel games, he did both Hawks games. He did Prince of Persia, The Forgotten Sands, and many more. Well, let me officially thank you for your time. It's uh, wonderful to talk to you, and uh, so thanks for speaking with me today. Thank you, Emily. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Good. So you just uh, finished up a project for a game called From Dust, and From Dust came out on the Xbox, I believe, in August, and it just came out for PlayStation in September. How were you approached about this project? It's a unique game. Oh, yes, it is. Um, I was approached by uh, some colleagues that I've worked with for, for many, many years at Ubisoft that I've worked on a plethora of different titles over the years, a huge variety of projects. So I had an established relationship with them. And uh, it's such a unique project that they called me and they, they told me about it. And I was immediately fascinated and thrilled to hear who uh, the creative director was, Eric Chahi, mm-hmm. as a you know longtime avid player of video games. From when I was a kid, I remember one of the, the biggest games that uh, I ever, where I first heard his name, which was called uh, From Another World, uh, released yes. in 1991. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I really, I remember playing that and, and it was so different and it was so otherworldly. And I still vividly remember that game to this day. Um, so, and then fast forwarding 20 years later, <laughs> you know, having the opportunity to work with the same visionary guy who did that. That was thrilling. It was also a little intimidating because I'm like, okay, I know he doesn't do things the normal way. (laughs) (laughs) Right. This is going to be an interesting ride. And it got even more interesting as we got into the nuts and bolts of it and they started telling me what they had in mind. What did they tell you? Well, the first thing was they were trying to explain this thing to me. You know, without having seen the game, trying to understand what they were talking about was was a bit daunting at first. They're telling me, well, you know, it's a game that... um, as you're playing, there's rhythms throughout the environment. and But, you know, the rhythms aren't really scoring the game. They're actually created in the game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, different rhythms and textures will represent different things that happen and different powers. And, and I'm going, hmm, I'm like, okay, I'm trying to think <laughs> in my, you know, encyclopedia of other games I've played. Um, there's nothing like that. Uh, yeah. So I couldn't refer to anything. And they're saying, well, there's always a set tempo. There's always, it's always at 120 BPM and... 
and there's a pulse through, and I'm like, okay. And I said, is there music, like tonal music? And they're like, well, not really. There's, you know, there'll be a theme, but the theme will be completely different. I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm thinking maybe I can do something more cinematic and epic. And they're like, well, you know, we wanted to do something that was very, you know, very minimalistic and very even keeled and not really emotional, uh, kind of not happy, not sad, kind of indifferent, kind of removed from the environment. So, you know, something like more like a Philip Glass. And I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> okay, you know, it was really, it was, it was a little scary at first, mm -hmm. but I was fascinated because I'm, I always gravitate towards things which are completely different. And I bring this on myself, I think. Every project I do practically is so different than the one before it. It seems that way, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I truly embraced this, but I got to say it was unbelievable. I mean, the, the conversations we had, I'm like, you mean like this? No. <laughs> How about like, no? Well, not exactly. Well, do you know what you want? You know? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so it was a it was a wonderful adventure and and evolved from there and we did some experimentation but uh, that that was how it all started. You said just a moment ago they, they actually gave you a tempo. They told you 120 beats per minute is the tempo of the rhythms in the game. It was the tempo for everything. For everything. It was the tempo for the rhythms. It was the tempo for the theme. It was oh, it the is. tempo for the transition music. It was, it was a universal tempo, wow. kind of like nature has a universal set of laws. Right. Uh, and this whole environment, this whole parallel universe tribal primitive thing was governed by the power of music and rhythm. Wow. So the concept was really out of the box, and I was truly fascinated by the, the how it would really work in the end. And, of course, I had all kinds of questions, and how are we going to, you know, well, is it going to be interesting enough? Is there going to be enough <laughs> emotion? I mean, are we going to drive people crazy if we're just listening to beats all the time? How are you going to distinguish, you know? I started playing early ideas for my father-in-law, and he's sitting there. He loves music, and he was sitting there nodding his head. He's like, so where's the music? <laughs> I was like, well, that's it. Don't you get it? You know. But as it, of course, as we got into the the, the project, I started really understanding and going, aha, oh, okay, you know. And when I started seeing some of the concept art and some of the initial demos of the of the playable game, when they came over, actually, they uh, Eric and the whole audio team came from Paris, mm. and uh, they came to my home studio. We spent a whole day. Uh, in my studio, and they, you know, they played me. He actually brought a working prototype of the game, and that's when the light bulb started going off. I'm like, sure. oh, 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 okay, <laughs> all right. You know, I get it. You know, that's really where I started getting a good grip on it, and then uh, that's when we started. Um, we had uh, the the recording sessions with um, my good friend Bashiri Johnson, and um, we recorded with uh, Kamadi Dinazulu. We, we started creating all these wonderful, unique, primitive, tribal things that don't really sound like anything you're used to hearing. on this a couple of times since we started talking, uh, the fact that initially it, 
it seems if you're not quite paying attention as you're playing through the game, it seems like there's not a lot of music in the game. But then you realize that everything you're doing, every single action, the powers, the, the mm. every every motion is all music. And it's just a listening pleasure to play that game. Thank you. It's very interesting. You know, it's it's like life. There's always something going on. There's always music going on. It's just where yes. you're listening and where yes. you are and what your perspective is. You know, if you're zoomed out like a bird view looking down on this, you're not going to really hear anything. But if you start to zoom in to a village or to a person walking, you notice there's a rhythm that's accompanying him or he's kind of talking to himself with the rhythm. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we came up with like a little fake imitation language. And mm-hmm. if you go into the village itself, there's a there's a music and they have like a what we'll call like the quiet village music where it's just the whole hum of daily life and there's music going on there. But at the same time, in the same tempo, there could be another village that's dealing with a tsunami and the same pulse in the same tempo, they're repelling that tsunami, but everything blends together in this, this constant you know, music that is creative depending on where you are and, and what your perspective is. Do you have a percussion background? Yes and no. Uh, I've always gravitated towards percussion. It's something that's always come instinctually to me, even as a young boy. Uh, I just love it. I never really took formal percussion training. I took certainly a lot of uh, music uh, training. My mother taught me piano from when I was a young boy. But when it comes to percussion, I never studied. I never played drums. I've always been a glorified finger drummer, right? From when I was uh, in eighth grade and I got my first drum machine or my first synthesizer, I was creating beats and everything um, just using those kind of tools. Uh Over the years, it's just been something that I didn't really pay much attention to until I started getting calls from other recognized producers and people to ask me to do their percussion or their drum tracks. And and I started going, hmm, I wonder why. I mean, I, it just feels so naturally to me. But then I started getting a little more insight from their perspective. And I noticed a lot of traditional composers don't really like doing the percussion. It's it's almost like a burden to them. It's like they just want to rush through it and get on to the music. I don't know. For me, I, I, I enjoy staying in that world a little bit longer. I enjoy finessing mm-hmm. the percussion and building it and make it textural and, and detailed. And mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just a vocabulary for me that I enjoy speaking. You mentioned uh, that you got to work with some friends of yours. You mentioned Bashiri Johnson, and I didn't catch the other name, but who did you get to work with on uh, From Dust? When I learned what the project would require, I said, okay, I really need to bring in some of the best people that I know that can think out of the box and truly Mm -hmm. create one-of-a-kind sonic textures, but using the vocabulary of percussion and things like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just so happens that uh, a good friend and colleague of mine is someone named Bashiri Johnson. 
Uh, Bashiri Johnson really established himself many, many, many years ago being a first call you know, session percussionist and going on tours. In fact, he was on the, the last Michael Jackson tour. So he's, he's known around the world to do what he does. And he has, he's got sample libraries out there. Uh, and he lives on the East Coast, mm. uh, where I do. Yes. And so he's the first person I called, and I started telling him about the project and saying how we really had to use percussion as the main language of this game. And, you know, he got all excited. And I said, okay. <laughs> so I said, it didn't really have to be any particular ethnicity. It didn't have to sound African, but it had to sound very primal. That being said, certainly Africa is at the root of, of much of our, you know, percussive vocabulary. And um, I said, so Bashiri, if it wasn't you, who would you hire, you know, that was a specialist in African tri uh, percussions and things like that? And, and he mentioned, he said, Kamati Dinazulu. I said, mm -hmm. sounds good to me. Let's go get him on the phone. <laughs> so I arranged to have a session with them both in the same room at the same time. I said, you know, something great has got to happen here. Mm -hmm. And that's where we had an exploratory recording session that initially before I worked on the project, I wanted to show them some of the uh, ideas and explorations that we came up with. So I told them to bring of, you know, their vans of toys, but to keep all the high tech gear out of this, no metal, nothing that you wouldn't find on a, on a deserted primitive tribal island yes. with no technology. I said, so <laughs> let's focus on things that you would just find materials. Let's focus on wood and shells and skins and whatever, you know, any natural things that you didn't have to manufacture. We started just coming up and experimenting with different rhythms and textures to evoke different moods. And and that's where it all began. It was a fascinating journey that I really didn't know what to expect at first. Sure. Kamadi was playing with brooms on things and, and blowing wow. into seashells and horns and and Bashiri was taking out his thousand-year-old pea pods and, <laughs> and all these weird, you yeah. know, things that you don't imagine would be used to create music on its own. Right. And uh, that's what it really was. Uh, how do we create something out of the percussive language mm -hmm. that will become a musical tapestry uh, for, for it to support gameplay? You whipped out a didgeridoo. <laughs> Didn't yes. you? We, yes, we, we so actually did, so to speak. So, <laughs> here it is. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I contacted uh, a good friend of mine who I've worked with several times uh, over in Switzerland. His name is Sandro Frederick, and he's a fantastic wind player, very versatile, plays a lot of different things. That was towards the end of the project. We kind of knew what we wanted by that point, and I said, okay, um, you know, we need to use the didgeridoo to represent the initial creation of the power, the the, the dust mm -hmm. that you're going to use as as like the cursor on the screen, mm -hmm. uh, and that was to be done by having I think it was four different individual didgeridoo parts that start one at a time, that get layered in the same rhythm with an udu. You know, they they had mm -hmm. some specific ideas in mind and how to do this. Uh, and it just took a little bit of experimentation to kind of find exactly what he had in his head. Uh, and uh, and we did it. That's great. Another thing you mentioned earlier, I noticed that the beginning uh, theme of the game sounded like Philip Glass. It's very minimalistic and beautiful and kind of a lot like water, right? I mean, it's just musical water uh, in a good way. But the music of the gameplay is that tribal initial style that 
everything came from, right? And and so I just yes. thought, what a brilliant pairing. I wonder if they realize this. <laughs> uh, someone realized this. Yes, yes. Uh, it was. But you're very you do your homework for sure, Emily. I got to <laughs> tell you, um, absolutely, you picked that up. And uh, indeed, Philip Glass was. The only name that uh, Eric ever mentioned as a reference, mm. and I have to admit it caught me off guard because I gravitate towards music that is more hooky and memorable and mm-hmm. bigger and, and more dynamic and mm-hmm. goes places and takes you on these journeys. Whereas, you know, the Philip Glass stuff that I've been familiar with over the years has kind of just has more of an ongoing, unchanging, you know, and yeah. I immersed myself in Philip Glass music and I watched a documentary on his life. And mm. what we ended up doing and, and why we did it is that he wanted music to represent several things. One of the things was the passage of time. And it just so happened that it worked that if we do something that had a pulse of of 60 beats per minute, you know, double that 120, right away you're you're already into a very natural tempo. You know, it's the tempo of the clock. We hear that we live every second by every day. It's that. That's the the tempo. I'm like, what emotion do you want? Do you want to be happy? Do you want to be sad? Do you want to be intimidating? Do you want it to be? Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, no, none of that. Okay, Thanks so then I understand. You, you know, thank you very much. <laughs> Hanging up cold sweat, you know. Um, and but then I started listening to the Philip Glass, and I realized, okay, okay, it's just there. It's indifferent. He just wanted to be indifferent. It is what it is. And that's what the whole point of the game is to, you know, these primitive villages and people were supposed to reconnect with their past and to figure out ways to be at one with nature. And and I think it all clicked for me one day when I'm, I'm really experimenting with all these 16th notes. And uh, I'm like, oh, my God, what am I getting into here? Uh, and then outside it was fall and w- the gardeners were blowing the leaves and... Um, I'm on the second floor uh, in my home studio and I noticed all these leaves blowing up past the window and I'm seeing a blue sky and these leaves just blowing and I, I'm listening to the music and it's and then it all clicked. I'm like, there it is. I get it. Well, it was just a, a brilliant idea and and it just, it works so well. It really works well. So good on you. Thank you. Clearly, writing music for From Dust was drastically different than the the previous games you've scored. So Mm -hmm. of the huge variety of games that you've written for, what have been some of your favorite projects? I've had favorite moments in in almost everything that I've worked on. But if I had to pick one project that kind of encompassed and was most closely aligned with who I am or what I like doing... Probably Red Steel is definitely one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Uh, Prince of Persia had so many things in there that, I mean, that it was like I've always dreamed about doing this piece right here. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I had to pick one, I'd say Red Steel. Mm-hmm. 
seem to always gravitate towards things that take me on these journeys of variety. Red Steel in so many ways epitomized that because there are so many styles from cue to cue in there that it, it almost became an ongoing joke. They almost started <laughs> taking advantage of it. Uh, where I, you know, we they do almost one level at a time, and they're like, okay, what are we going to throw at him today? Um, so one day, it, you know, it might be. Um, what you might expect in a game like that, where it was an epic choral Japanese piece with big percussion, and then the next minute it might be an intimate piece just played on a single uh, koto, or, or and then the next minute it might be a, an 80s Gap Band-inspired funk track, and then it might go into killer circus music. And then it'll go, you know, literally, and this one, this score, and it'll go into hip hop, and then it'll go into rap, and then it'll go into J-pop. Wow. And what I loved about it was, it was like a roller coaster ride of challenges, but it was also an adventure. So, I mean, it was scary going through it, but after going through it, it was a rush. Loved the music he wrote for for Prince of Persia. Um, it, it was very, I guess, otherworldly, and being exposed to that, and then hearing what you did for From Dust, it gave me the impression that you had all this background in world musics. So, can you talk a little bit about that? <laughs> well, first of all, I, I have to admit that Prince of Persia has been a long, long, long time dream of mine. When I did have the opportunity to work on that game, it was like the culmination of years of mental preparation and just, just wow, I finally, <laughs> the curtain has finally opened and I get to do some things that I've dreamed about doing. And, and I, the first thing is I met with the team and in Quebec and they were incredible. And I sat with the creative director and the audio director and the producer and, and I think they saw the passion I had oozing. I couldn't help it. Uh, I was playing the game like, oh my God, this reminds me of the Sands of Time. It was my favorite Prince of Persia game and I <laughs> love this about it. And, but we quickly established some parameters. And one of the things that was surprising and almost welcome was the fact that they consciously decided that we were going to not do an orchestral score mm. and we were not going to do anything that had any modern electronic in, in it. Now, those are two <laughs> things I'm very comfortable with. I seem to always gravitate towards things that are more artistic and not as normal, traditional, what you expect score-like. I wanted to treat it more like, how would Peter Gabriel approach this score? Listening to Peter Gabriel's score to The Last Temptation of Christ. Oh, what a great album that is. where I wanted to live. How do we do this without any string sections? How do we do this with just textures and moods and percussion and eclectic instruments? ¶¶ 
there is a wonderful um, aside that I have to tell you about this. It was seven years in the making. I'm always, again, listening to things that are out of the box and unique. And when I was um, out in San Francisco, about seven years ago-ish now, I was walking around GDC outside, and I, I heard this music coming from a street performer. And I was like, what is that? <laughs> it didn't sound like, I'm like, I wasn't sure what, it wasn't a harp, it wasn't, it sounded like a, almost like a singing sword. It was like metal being rubbed. And I had it, you know, in my mind because I was, Prince of Persia has always been a dream of mine, as I said, and, and I was thinking, that kind of texture would be amazing. And so I, I followed my ears and, I, and I, he was sitting right in front of the convention center. And I sat there for 15 minutes just listening to this dude. <laughs> I went up to him in between. I introduced myself. And I have to say, I bought both of his CDs and I, you know, I gave him my card and I took his card. I said, listen, you know, Michael, Michael Maisley, it's a pleasure to meet you. And I just want to let you know that one day, if I ever get a chance to do this one game, which I've been, which I hope that I have the chance to do, I'm going to be calling you. You got to be kidding me. This no, is how this, this happened. No, this is no joke. This is no wow. joke. So fast forward about seven years, I remember the day that I was awarded the project and I emailed him. I said, remember that project? I, I met you and uh, I said, I got it. <laughs> Let's do this. And, you know, he was really excited about it. Sure. And uh, so he was one of the many unique textures that I brought into the game, which is like, what's that? What was he playing? He was playing something that was like a cymbalom, but it was uh -huh. a custom version that he made. He, it wasn't just the normal cymbalom. It was something that he made where he created these um, little metal feathers that he wore on his fingers, like a ring that stuck out like long fingernails. And he would actually bow the strings with them. So those are the kind of textures that I wanted to put to the game. started immersing myself in, in, in all this different music and started picking and choosing, you know, like, like a painter choosing colors and like, okay, I like this and I like a little this and a little of this and let's mix them all together and see what, what happens. And you've always been a gamer, huh? Yes, since the late 70s. It's not always that common to find uh, composers who write for games who actually are gamers. These days, no, it's it's growing more into a really, you know, major commercial enterprise and you got yes. a lot of Hollywood composers who are coming in and it's mm -hmm. and they're wonderful, but it's more of a just like another film. It's like you, they treat it the way they treat everything else. Whereas I come from this almost fanboy sense of <laughs> yeah. you know, oh, I remember this game, I remember this and I oh my god, Metroid and Super Mario and this and Zelda yeah. and you know, I have a vocabulary of video games that I bring mm -hmm. I bring to the music that I uh, that I work on and I think that passion and excitement and, and intricacy uh, really helps me do something that's unique. 
rather than just someone who's scoring it like any other music to picture. So let's talk about your musical background a little bit and uh, go ahead and, and let that take you into how you got into game music. My musical background started literally when I was five years old. My mother was teaching piano. And mm -hmm. um, one day I walked up to her and I heard her playing scales and something. And I'm like, mom, can you show me how to do that? And that's where it started. So she taught me for seven years until I could bear no longer to be taught by my mother <laughs> as an eighth grader. But then I naturally gravitated, um, you know, entering high school and it wasn't very popular to be playing Beethoven and Chopin. Right. So I, I was kind of really gravitating towards, you know, the pop music and what all my friends were. And I had a wide variety of friends. Uh, I had friends that were into classic rock, and I had friends that were into disco, and I had friends that were into freestyle dance music, and I had friends that were into jazz fusion. You know, and hindsight is always twenty twenty, and I'm looking back now, I'm like, this is where it started, because I had equal doses of listening to Pink Floyd with my brother and his friends. My mm -hmm. brothers were like in their 20s, and as well as I'm listening to some, you know, just brainless music cruising down in a Mustang GT on Central <laughs> Avenue, boom, boom, you know. <laughs> yeah. And then, as a 10-year-old, this is before VCRs, okay? So <laughs> okay. one of my favorite composers back there was John Williams. Uh -huh. And my favorite movie of all time was Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, yeah. Then, I, you know, that opened up into Superman and E.T. And, and, mm -hmm. and all these other incredible scores that he did. And as a kid, instead of going and buying baseball cards, I went and bought movie cards. I went to the, you know, the candy store there and mm -hmm. they had movie cards. So they had, I bought Raiders of the Lost Ark cards. And I, <laughs> cool. my parents got me the actual vinyl soundtrack of Raiders of the Lost Ark. And what I would start to do is collect these cards and I'd put them chronologically and I would listen to the whole album from beginning to end like a slideshow, <laughs> look at the cards, yeah. and it was my way of reliving the movie. That's what started getting me excited about composers and like how could it really touch me emotionally. But then fast forward, I kind of stopped listening ongoing to classical music and, and music to picture and orchestral stuff. And I got into the world of popular music. Mm -hmm. So that was like a whole nother decade where my transition into games started is that right around the year 2000 and 2001, games were evolving more rapidly and more rapidly. And that's when Halo came out and the Marty O'Donnell score for that. And I was playing games like Rainbow Six. And that's when I was playing Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time. Mm -hmm. And, um, I was playing all these different games that started becoming less bleeps and bloops and Super Mario-like and be mm -hmm. started becoming more, for me, emotionally engaging. And at the same time, I was starting to get bored with pop music. It was, it was the time where the manufactured group started coming out. And that's when I lost interest because I'm not a cookie cutter kind of guy. And when I started hearing what games were doing, I'm like, oh my God, the creative freedom, look at that. So right there and then I, I said, this is, this is it, the light bulb went off. I went out to E3 and I went out to GDC and I started introducing myself to this whole new world. But I also noticed one thing is that, you know, composers seem to be a dime a dozen, you know, but artists, you know, artists like, um, Crystal Method or Prodigy 
they wanted to license their music in the games. They wanted to have, you know, the, so I said, I know how to put a record together myself. I know how to produce things. I know how to remix things. I know how to completely engineer an entire project all by myself from, <laughs> from beginning to end. Yeah. I said, I can make a whole album. I should become an artist. I will put on my, my Batman mask and become Atlas Plug. So I created a whole album's worth of music that I thought would be perfect for licensing in video games and TV and film. I connected with a publisher and he started getting bites from Microsoft who wanted to license four of the songs into a video game. I said, mm -hmm. oh my God, this is amazing. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I put the whole record together and now I'm Atlas Plug and now I have a name and I have credits. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's where it all started. game I did with with uh, Manu Bechet, who was the same person who, who hired me for um, From Dust, I did Cold mm -hmm. Fear. That music was like industrial orchestral horror music. <laughs> and then I did Ghost Recon Advanced Warfighter, and that was a modern military game. And mm -hmm. a lot of my sound that I'm known for, my hybrid orchestral, you know, electronic style came from that. But that was a first. And then I did Red Steel. That was a first. You know, getting asked to do Japanese sure. hybrid this, that was a first. Yeah. So we, I started developing that trust factor with him. So he just started hiring me for whatever. touched on this a little bit, but I do want to specifically ask you the question of how writing for video games is different from all these other projects that you've had the opportunity to do in your musical career. You know, writing for games is all about supporting the experience of playing the game. And I came from a world of music being all about listening to the music. In other words, um, how do I fill this music with so much thing, so many things that call interest to it and, and draw you into the music so you mm -hmm. zone out the rest of the world? Right. So getting into the new, new headspace of, uh-uh, you want to support, you want to bring the game player into the immersive experience of playing the game where, yes, they tune out the rest of the world, but they're playing the game and the music is just kind of that catalyst that pulls them in and sure. starts creating the emotions that the game developer wants them to feel. And that's something that I can do in games that I can't really do as much in a lot of the other music that I did. Another huge aspect that is, that is a big talking point whenever I give presentations uh, talking about game music specifically compared to film music is that the technical aspects of game music that you're dealing generally with smaller chunks of music and sometimes multi-layered kinds of music. Yes. 
Like in From Dust, where there's well, very much so. Mm-hmm. Like in From Dust, where you have these different layers that will be cross faded or 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 brought in at different times or on top of each other. You know, I sometimes compare it. If you were to make a visual when you're scoring to to a linear piece of music, like whether it be a film or whether it be a, a film trailer or a cutscene in a video game, you know, I'll put like a few circles representing pieces of music with arrows and a straight line connecting them. And mm-hmm. I said that is you know linear music to picture. And and now I go to the next slide, and this is games. And I have circles all over the screen with arrows going in all different directions and curving back to the beginning like a crazy flow chart. Sure. And I said, this is games, you know, and people laugh, but it's true. It's totally true, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and sometimes it's it's a bit overwhelming and intimidating for people who don't come from that world to think about it. Yeah. Um, but then when you break it down, it really comes down to the music. I don't like the technical aspects of music to compromise the artistic and creative aspects because at the end of the day, um, you want to feel it. You want to enjoy it. It needs to pull you in. And I like there to at least be something memorable and and uh, something unique about it where you close your eyes and within five seconds, you know what game you're playing. I love that. I love that feeling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a good feeling. Can I get a witness in the house? You've been listening to Top Score from Classical Minnesota Public Radio. I'm Emily Reese, and our technical director is Sam Keenan. We had additional technical support from Ben Pisht. Top Score comes to you each week from Public Radio Land here at Minnesota Public Radio. And we're a not-for-profit, so you can find information about how to give Top Score financial support of any kind at minnesotapublicradio.org. A special thank you from Top Score goes to Michael Maisley for providing us with his music to include in the show, a track called Blue Flamingo off his album Symbolenium. Tom Salta will actually appear in an upcoming documentary about Michael. It's called Art Officially Favored, and that's coming out very soon. We love hearing your comments and questions at classicalmpr.org slash topscore, and you can follow us on Twitter and Tumblr at Topscore Podcast. Oh, oh, that's so that's so delightful and charming. I didn't know you wrote that. <laughs>